How you start is not how you finish. Just look at the weather right now. I mean, this is incredible. It was pitch dark at 9 o'clock this morning. Now we end with this glorious, beautiful day, but it's a joy to be together. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 24 to 29, and you can find that on page 966 in your pew Bible. We began working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, back in June of 2022. And tonight we find ourselves at at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the most popular sermon ever preached. And over the last few months, we've seen Jesus describing and defining what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like and what it means for us to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Our scripture tonight is going to be broken up into two different parts. First is going to be the the story and the tale of two houses. If you're here last week, you'll recall that Pastor Phillips mentioned the theme that there are two ways we find throughout scripture. And we see that in in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus draws the the distinction between two different ways, two different paths, two gates, two trees, and tonight, two houses with two different builders and ultimately two foundations. And then the second part, and then then it's over. Jesus concludes his sermon. But the second part, Verses 28 and 29, two verses that, that quite frankly, if we're not honest, if we're not careful, we'll overlook them. But they're powerful verses because they talk about how Jesus' words has an impact and affects his audience. And it's been my prayer throughout this week as I've been prepping for this sermon that that it will have the exact same impact on us tonight. Hear God's word this evening, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, our prayer tonight is that we would once again be in awe of your teaching. Would you change our hearts? Would you change our minds? Would you, Holy Spirit, use your word to encourage us, to convict us, and to draw us to yourself. 
Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, perhaps you will remember that several weeks or months ago, I can't remember exactly when, but it was on a Sunday evening during this series, and Pastor Ken McCurd was preaching. And if you recall, after now that you've heard the passage that we're looking at, Pastor McCurd offered at that moment to sing the song that accompanies these verses. You know the song, right? The wise man built his house bright. He offered to do that, so at the end of the service, we're going to have you come up and lead us in the hand motions and the singing as well. Actually, I just wanted to make sure you got that stuck in your mind for the rest of the week, and now that I've done that, we're, we're good to go. You know, it's interesting that familiar passages like this have a whole lot of truth in them. Even familiar passages that are children's songs. But it's truth not just for children. It's truth for us as well. And there are three things that I want us to look at briefly in our time tonight. Three different aspects. Three A's. And here they are. Number one is the importance of application. The second is an an analogy to consider. And the third is a preacher to stand in awe of. So if you're taking notes, application, analogy, awe. First, the importance of application. Last week, Pastor Phillips looked at Matthew 7, 21. And in verse 21, we read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's an emphasis last week on on the idea of both saying and doing. Well, tonight Jesus is placing an emphasis not on saying and doing, but on hearing and doing. And it's clear that what he's doing is driving home the message that the Christian life is all-encompassing. Right? It's our head, and our heart, and our hands. When a life has been ch- touched and changed by the gospel of Christ, nothing is left untouched. Look with me at verse 24. It begins like this. Everyone who hears these words, these words, what are these words? Well, It's Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the description of the Christian life. Jesus is describing someone who is living out because of their relationship with Christ, living out the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. He's describing the Christian life that calls us to be salt and to be light. Words that he spoke where God's word shapes us and it changes the way that we understand anger and lust and marriage and honesty. The Christian life that allows God's word to change the way we think and the way we treat our enemies. That changes the way we pray, the way we give, how we think about finances. These words here are everything that Jesus has said, but he doesn't stop there. Everyone who hears these words of mine and 
does them. So what we have Jesus doing here is a call to obedience to the word of God. But it's not a robotic obedience, but it's an obedience from the heart. Listen to how Jesus says it in John chapter 6. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And again, in 1 John chapter 2, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Jesus is calling his disciples to obedience, but it's obedience not compelled out of a a duty to win God's favor, as if somehow that was possible. It's an obedience by faith. It's an obedience compelled by delight. Because as a follower of Christ, you've received God's favor. And through the person and work of Christ, and a changed heart, you now desire and delight to walk in obedience to God's word. It sounds so good when I say it like that, doesn't it? Obedience is a delight. You desire and delight in obedience. It just flows out. Let's be honest. It sounds really, really good. But when we begin to put that into practice... Christian obedience is tough. It's not always a delight. It's not always a desire. Sometimes we all struggle with selective hearing, not just the men in the room, but all of us struggle with selective hearing. Several months ago, I was asked to teach a class on how to study the Bible. And so I went and I found my old worksheets. Many of you know those worksheets that have the funnel on it, right? And you start with observation, interpretation, application. And I'm walking through what does it look like to study the Bible? So we we go through the entire class and uh, it's been great. Lots of good information. I've enjoyed teaching it. And as we're finishing up our time together, this voice cries out from the back of the room. It sounded very much like Allie Wessner. I don't remember, but... This voice cries out over the the whole room and it says, which one of these do you think is the hardest one to do? And immediately I thought, application. Observation can be pretty easy. Good interpretation, right? Good interpretation is fun. But application is where it gets real. Application is where you come face to face with the reality that in light of what God's word says, oftentimes it's something that has to change. Something to start or stop. And many times it's something that I don't want to start or I don't want to give up. And so oftentimes we stop short of application. Maybe because ignorance is is bliss. I don't know. But we may not want to do what's required. But Jesus doesn't give us that option. 
That's why he says, everyone who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. This is what John Stott says about the passage. He says, we need to consider that the Bible is a dangerous book to read and that the church is a dangerous society to join. For in reading the Bible, we hear the words of Christ. And in joining the church, we say we believe in Christ. And as a result, we belong to the company described by Jesus as both hearing his teaching and calling him Lord. Our membership, therefore, lays upon us the serious responsibility of ensuring that we know what we know and what we say is translated into what we do. The Bible is a dangerous book to read. Jesus is driving home the importance of application. And we see him do that with the use of the analogy here of two different houses. Look with me at those two houses. First, the similarity. What what about these two houses are similar? Well, these houses would have been almost identical in every aspect. Externally, these houses would look very similar in their structural makeup. Even the interior layout of these homes would look similar. The room placement would be similar. Both of these houses would likely have been built by their owners, right? All the material in these houses would have been built, all the material would have been purchased at the exact same hardware store. Two very similar houses, houses that would have been built in the same location. You can infer that because both houses experience the element of the same storm. So we don't have one house on a hill and one in a valley. We have one house here and one house right next door, one house across the street. Both of these builders would have been aware that flash flooding could occur at certain times of the year. Now, I stress all of that to say that in thinking through this analogy, it's important for us to understand what, that Jesus is talking to two very similar people, people who are very close to one another. Externally, you cannot tell them apart. These are people who are in the same church, sitting beside one another in the same pew, singing the same hymns, hearing the same preaching. You say, why is that important? Because what he's doing here is no different than what he's done throughout the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not drawing a distinction here between Christian versus non-Christian. He's not saying Christian versus atheists. Right? You all probably know people who are atheists, either professing or not, but, and some of them are really, really good people. I know some atheists that are really better at me in a lot of life, uh, quite frankly. 
But he's not drawing that extinct distinction because that distinction makes itself present pretty clearly most of the time. Home life, work life, free time, usually those differences are pretty obvious. Jesus here is not drawing a distinction between us in here and them out there. Jesus is drawing a distinction between true Christians and false Christians. It's a distinction between us and us. Two people who are very, very similar. Externally almost indistinguishable. And yet at their core, at the foundation, worlds apart. So what's the difference? This tale of two houses, two foundations, but really a tale of two builders as well, isn't it? So what does it look like? The house that's built on the rock. Maybe the builder, because Jesus is not really talking about houses. He's talking about people. The builder who builds on the rock. Who is this builder? We know that building on the rock takes longer. In Luke chapter 6, where we have this same story recounted, it says that the one who built on the rock had to dig down deep to get to solid foundation. I've heard of people having to have foundation experts come out before, and it's always amazing. They're like, they had to dig down so deep to find bedrock to to jack up my house or do whatever it is they, they had to do. It's amazing to me how deep they have to go. Building your house on the rock takes time. It's a builder who thinks ahead, who knows the dangers of the storm and prepares accordingly. He's patient. He's willing to take more time and spend more money to make sure this home will last. This is the the builder who gets multiple experts to come out to make sure he's doing the right thing before he's moving forward. It's a builder who's not satisfied with good enough. He wants to make sure it's done right. Contrast that with a builder who builds his house on the sand. It's quicker. It's easier. It's cheaper. You get a picture of a builder who's careless. He knows the danger of the storm as well. He just doesn't care because it could never happen to him. It's a builder who's focused on the temporary, concerned with the here and the now. He's not asking expert opinions. He's not asking any opinions. He knows what he's doing. He's satisfied with good enough. Two houses that for all intents and purposes are the exact same. And for years and years and years, they're the same. Everything's great until a storm comes. And the rain pounds down. And the wind blows violently. Much like this this morning. One house survives, and the other doesn't. 
And the reason was not the materials, but the builder's choice and foundation. Jesus is saying here that foundations matter. And if it matters for houses, then it matters for us as well. The wise person is the person who hears God's word, believes God's word, and seeks to live out their life in light of God's word because of the person and work of Jesus. The wise person doesn't stop short of application. It's a life marked by repentance and faith. A life where you seek to build your entire world, your personal life, your family, your finances, your friendships, your businesses, your free time on the Word of God. It's the person who understands their sin and their brokenness. A person who understands their need for God's grace and His love and His mercy. A person who understands that that they can't go at this life alone, that they need the body of Christ. It's a person who obedience is an act of delight. And it becomes, over time, an act of delight. And it becomes a desire. And it is by no mean perfect obedience. That's not what we're talking about. But it's an obedience that year after year continues to grow and long for the things of God. What about the foolish person? The foolish person hears God's word, but ultimately doesn't believe it. They don't live it out. They're concerned with the temporary. They build their house on their own merit and on their own strength. No major need for grace, no major need for mercy. Maybe they would even acknowledge, sure, I'm not perfect. I believe in God. But at least I'm not as bad as this guy. It's a life never changed by the Word of God. They don't need help. They don't ask for help. Because in their mind, they've got this. Two people that are virtually the same. For much of their life, everything is great. But then a storm comes, and what happens? The storm reveals the foundation. And it reveals what our lives are built upon. And if you even think about the idea of storms, storms are inevitable, aren't they? Storms in this life are inevitable. Your health, your marriage, your children, your family, relationships, friendships, finances, the pressures of life, they squeeze and they press and they push. It is oftentimes then when our foundation is revealed under those intense pressure-filled storms of life. And they're inevitable here, but maybe, maybe somehow you survive that. Well, perhaps you could look at me and say, you know, DT, I've got a great family, great marriage, great parents, great kids, great job, great bank account. All is well. I'm, I'm actually just great. I'm all around great. Everything's awesome. We've actually weathered the storms, and we're all good. 
Well, Jesus is making it clear that there will be a day when we stand before God. And on that judgment day, what we build our lives upon, the foundation that we build our lives on, will be revealed. Jesus is making it abundantly clear. Foundations are important. They're crucial to life here and our eternal life as well. Back in summer of 2010, I was leading a team of college students for a summer-long mission trip to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And if you have ever seen pictures of the Patronus Towers, these two twin towers, it's 88 stories in the sky, and it has this sky bridge that spans the gap between these massive towers. At one point, I don't don't think it is any longer, but at one point it was the tallest building. They were the tallest buildings in the world. And I remember while we were there, I don't even know if Pastor Heron remembers this or not, but while we were there, Pastor Heron came to visit our team, and Chris Drinkert was with him, and they came to visit. And so we did what any tourist would do. Uh, We go downtown to the center of Kuala Lumpur, and we go see the the Patronus Towers, and, and You know what everyone is doing there, right? This. I mean, the whole time, you're just staring up in utter amazement at how large these towers are. These massive, massive, massive structures. And so I began telling them that we had had the opportunity to go up on that sky bridge. And you can go pull up a picture later and see how tall this is. And you go on this sky bridge, and it has a glass floor. And so you're able to walk between these two towers and see all the way down. And then you get up in these towers, and it's absolutely incredible because as you're up there, on that sky bridge, you're swaying back and forth, back and forth. Uh, Some of you are very nervous right now. Just Just me talking about this, you're like, ah, you know, you can't. Uh, I can see it all over your faces. but So we're there, and I'm like, guys, you wouldn't believe how amazing this is up there. I mean, it was just, just incredible. I'm just spewing out how cool these towers were and how great it was up top. And I started watching Chris Drinker, and all of a sudden I realized that Chris is looking up every now and then and going, man, that is cool. Yeah, that's big. But he's also looking down a whole lot. Like, huh. And I'm like, what? I, I mean, it struck me as a little bit odd that here everybody's doing this, and he's doing this. And finally... He says, as we're down there, he says, you know, I got to be honest, what I'd really love to see is underneath these towers. He said, the foundation of this building has got to be one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. He said, it's got to be so incredibly deep with elevators and shafts that they can go down and repair these foundations because someone is constantly working and constantly building and constantly maintaining the foundation of this building. I would love to see what it looks like underneath. I hadn't thought about what it looked like underneath. I was just telling him that it was cool to stand up up top. Pastor Heron jokingly just rolled his eyes and went Georgia Tech engineers and just shook his 
his head. Of course he would think that way, but he was right. And it's always stuck with me that here we are, these beautiful, majestic, at one point, the tallest buildings in the world. But what fascinated him was the foundations. And you think about it, and it's true, isn't it? A window breaks on the 72nd floor. That's a big deal. People could get hurt. But it's repairable. Sad, but repairable. The foundation of that building fails, and it's catastrophic. On what are you building the foundations of your life? Are you building your foundation on you, on your success, on your finances? on your amazing family, on where you're going to college or where you got into college or your job or your marriage or anything else other than Jesus. Because only Jesus is the foundation that has staying power both now and in eternity. What, on what are you building your foundation? And I would encourage you to spend some time this week thinking about that question. What am I building my foundation on? Then Jesus concludes his sermon, and it's actually pretty abrupt. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Mic drop. Sermon's over. And he's done. As I said, we have these two verses here, verse 28 and 29. I don't want us to miss those because we see our third point, a preacher to stand in awe of. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Matthew makes the point to note how the people responded to Jesus' teaching astonished. It's actually a pretty good translation, but in the Greek it's even stronger. It's baffled, speechless, awestruck. Why? Because he was teaching as one who had authority. You see, the scribes taught others' words. They taught commentaries. They taught Books regurgitating someone else's thoughts and words, but not Jesus. Jesus wasn't teaching about the Word of God. Jesus was teaching the Word of God from God the Son Himself. And the people were astonished. They were astonished then, And they continue, all these years later, to astonish us now. So I ask you to consider, friends, does God's word astonish your heart? 
Is it stale? Is it old? Is it boring? Is it outdated? Is it useful for these people, but not for me? And if so, spend some time wrestling through the importance and the priority of God's word in your own heart, in your own life. On what are you building the foundation of your life? On yourself? Are you seeking to build it on the only thing that has staying power? On Jesus and the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we, as we approach your table tonight, Lord, we are reminded and grateful for your finished work done on our behalf. We ask now that you would strengthen our hearts and our souls. Lord, that if someone is here tonight that hasn't built a foundation on you, that tonight would be the night that they begin that in their heart and in their life. Would you, Jesus, be the rock in our hearts and in our lives, the rock that we stand on? In Christ's name, amen.